Never surrender. From out-of-work actors... By the sons of Warvan, I shall avenge you. ...to outer space heroes... You will save us! We are actors, not astronauts. DreamWorks Pictures invites you to bravely go... Hi, little guy. ...where no comedy has gone before. Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Galaxy Quest, rated PG. Now playing everywhere. Welcome back to 1999. In this podcast, Old Millennials Remember Movies with your host, Angela Yoshiko, that's me, and your co-host, Tyler Wilson. By Grabthar's Hammer, what a savings. Okay. So we are going to be talking about <laughs> Galaxy Quest from 1999 today. Um... Tyler has been wanting to uh, do this one for the podcast for a while because it's his favorite, one of his favorites. I was—I thought you were going to say it's his favorite, then you were going to like insert fill in a, the blank. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you enjoyed it, this movie. Uh, it, it might be my favorite Star Trek movie, even though it is not a Star Trek movie. Oh, just I saying. Like that. Yeah. Okay, so before we uh, talk about Galaxy Quest today, Tyler, we have been busy watching stuff, and by we. I mean you. You've been busy watching stuff. Well. So let's let's hear the rundown. You've watched some stuff. Not really. You watched some more Supernatural. Oh, we're going to talk about that? Why not? Supernatural is great. <laughs> you love Supernatural. And it's in its last and final season, and I am sad because I didn't realize that. So it is, this is the last thing. We were talking about this off mic a while yeah, ago. Yeah, so they're, they uh, aired the start of the 15th season, so it's going to be their 15th and final season. They aired like 15 episodes. They had 18 filmed, so they had about three that needed to be sound edited and all that stuff that they didn't get to before COVID started. And then they have a, a couple more to film um, before they wrap up the season and they're hoping to wrap it up, um, at the end of the summer, early fall versus a lot of the other CW, CW shows, um, are not coming back until 2021, like Arrow or whatever that one. They're is. not even starting production. They're starting production, but they won't be airing them until 2021. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Cause... But they have said that they would be pulling Supernatural forward as much as they can. Mm. What are they going to air? Huh? <laughs> what are they going to air? Reruns, baby. I know. There's a lot of going to be some reruns coming up on television. I want, I was wondering because most of the CW shows film up in Canada. Vancouver. And uh, the border is still technically closed at this juncture. Yeah. Well, for not. I mean, they could work. There's work. People that work are going back and forth. But I don't know. They, there's not been a lot of startup of production anywhere yet. So, um, Yep. So it's the last episode, last season. Am I sad that it's ending? No, I'm not. Because 15 seasons is a long time for a show like this. Yeah. I mean, these guys, it's been a, it's been a while. And uh, even in the show, they're making fun of themselves as far as, like, uh, you know, cycling through monsters and material. And, you know, they've they've run through the plots and it's time to wrap it up. I think in, the, in this final season, the bad guy is God. Mm, okay. So I mean, they've escalated. They've they've dealt with this god character in previous seasons, but now mm. now God is the bad guy. I mean, you can't really top that. So they're really going for it. Well, I don't. I've never, I've never watched a single episode. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm pretty sure, and because uh, it's not really my thing. But I will say that it seems like you stuck with it. Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, I not. Yeah. I don't think you've been watching 15 years. You caught up with it at some point over some period because all of it was available to stream and whatnot. But yeah. most shows, I would say, do not 
they don't get good. Or, I mean, they don't they don't stay good for more than what the, the most six or seven seasons. Mm-hmm. So you know, The Simpsons had a good run there for a little while, but I mean, they obviously trailed off too. Is it a has it has there been a trail off, it, or has it been largely as good as it was in the beginning? Good question. I'd say it's had its ups and its downs. Gotcha. It hasn't been just, like, rock solid climbing up. Right. Well, but it's different because, like, unlike... what The thing I find remarkable about Supernatural is that it is not a... It's, like, two guys, yeah. essentially. There's There's been recurring characters, but, like, in terms of, like, regular cast members, it's been those two guys, and it's always been a small cast, mm-hmm. and they've stuck with it. Yep. So I think that's unusual even for... I mean, you think of something like Grey's Anatomy, which is going on forever. I mean, there's like one, there's like two characters that are left from the beginning of that show. And there's been people that have come and gone like crazy. Yeah. Whereas it's, those guys have stayed the same. Yeah, it's the main two actors, the Winchester brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're like in their, four, you know, they started out, they're like in their 20s and now they're like in their 40s. So it's, you know, it's it's time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But it has gone to show that if you cast the right hot model mm-hmm. for your CW show, it can last. Oh, okay, so I'm reading, I think, that same article that you're reading. So, yes, while this is the last season, both of the actors have signed up for another show, and it's called, let me just double-check. Walker or something? No, it's called Supernatural 2. <laughs> you're such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is uh, signed up for a series. He's a series regular already on his next show. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, so, really, the question is, am I going to go back at any point in the future and start over? Yes. Obviously, people. I've watched Charmed over. I've watched uh, uh, Magicians over. There aren't actually very many shows that I will go back and watch again. I I watched Buffy the Vampire a couple mm -hmm. times. I only ever rewatch like The Office and 30 Rock and Community. It's Always Sunny. Parks and Rec and It's Always Sunny. Mostly comedy shows I can go back and rewatch. Yeah. That's about it. Okay. Cool. Uh we watched uh, The Princess Diaries 2, the royal engagement with our kids. Yes, we did. And Princess Diaries 2 mm-hmm. has an older Anne Hathaway. Oh, man, it is a stark contrast. I was actually... Okay, there was a, a situation where, I think we even mentioned on a previous episode, where the still for the first prim, uh, Princess Diaries on Disney Plus was actually briefly a still for The Princess Diaries 2 because it was Chris Pine was in it. You're like, Chris Pine is in... I, first of all, I didn't know that Chris Pine was in either one. Mm-hmm. But I especially thought it was unusual because Anne Hathaway was in that picture too and she was looking good and I was like, isn't she supposed to be like 15 in this first movie? And I, it made me uncomfortable because as you know, I, I do like Anne Hathaway. But it turned out that still was from... The sequel in which she's like, well, like it's been a few years. She's obviously like twenty something, and it's just it's less creepy for me to be like, yeah, what's up, Anne Hathaway? Yeah, looking good, girl. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I I don't have any opinion about Royal the Princess Diaries two. I found it to be uh, kind of boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm feeling a little distracted because I was reading about supernatural bloodlines. <laughs> oh, it's okay. like a spinoff. It's a sequel. <laughs> I'm, I, I told really, you. It's called no, Supernatural no, 2. No, it came out in 2014. It was a spinoff, apparently, and it was terrible, obviously. Oh, okay. Well, that was one episode. Well, it must have been a pilot that they they filmed, and then they did not move it, forward. Yeah, they flushed that down the toilet, They're like, apparently. nope, this isn't going to work. Which, I mean, you got to think about, 
you know how pilot episodes of shows are kind of not very good? No. In yeah, general? Yeah. No so pilot is good. What I find fun about that is that we see a lot of pilots that actually make it to series and they have multiple episodes. They get at least a season, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a bad pilot. So then you got to think, like, how bad was the pilot that they said no to? Yeah. Bad. Awful. Is so bad. Really bad, right? But, like, then the people making it had to have known at the time that their pilot was bad. Like, yeah. if you're in the industry, you got to finish your pilot and be like, well, this is dog shit. Well, I think there are stories about that. Like, Steve like Steve Carell was, like, signed up for another show when he got cast on The Office. He was, like, a second position. And he was, like, I think the openly saying, like, man, I hope this other one doesn't work because it sucks. <laughs> like, you know, he, like, he clearly liked the second yeah. position one better. But, yeah. you know, like, once you've already committed to something, it's kind of hard to, to back out or whatever. So. Totally. So, Tyler, let's hear some of the highbrow films that you've been partaking in. Well, um, I was very excited about uh, Spike Lee's movie coming to Netflix called The Five Bloods. And so ahead of that, I was just kind of – I have have several uh, Spike Lee movies on on DVD. Um, But I was lazy and I just went and – was just watching the ones that were on Netflix, uh, including like Malcolm X, which I have a copy of. And I had never really, I, Malcolm X is like three and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. And I has, have seen big chunks of it previously. And you, I remembered a lot about it, but I don't know. I, I don't know if I have a memory of really sitting down and watching the entire thing in one sitting. And uh, so I did that ahead of watching to five bloods. And, um, yeah, I mean, what is there to say about Malcolm X? It's really good. It has a pretty great uh, Denzel Washington performance. It, you know, I think the first hour is a little bit of – because it's about his early life and it's kind of – I think once he becomes like a public speaker, that's far more interesting, you know, subject matter. It's well made and I like all the stuff that happens before, but I think it really kind of shifts into high gear after he goes to prison and kind of converts. So I liked that quite a bit. It was – you know, it's well regarded as one of his better movies. I would agree with that. It's just, yeah, it's it's awesome. And it's still, sadly, still very relevant today. Yes, <laughs> the problems is. of Malcolm X and the problems of 1992 when the movie was made, and here we are again. Um, nothing really ever changes, it seems like, unfortunately. Um, so then, after I watched that, I watched uh, one of Spike Lee's more, like, entertaining, like, kind of... Slick movies. Inside Man is on Netflix, and I have uh, seen it a couple times, but it's been a f- you know few years. And uh, yeah, that's just a really fun uh, kind of just an airtight little heist movie with a kind of clever little twist on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it starts off with Clive Owen talking to the camera like, "I'm going to pull off the perfect heist," and you're just like, "Okay, whatever." Um, and he says, "You know," and he even says, "I want to walk out the front door," and you're like, "Okay, whatever." And, you know, it kind of, like, even though you know that's coming, they kind of have fun with uh, pulling that off. And it's pretty satisfying, I feel like. I like how the movie keeps cutting back and forth between um, the timeline of the robbery to Denzel and Chiwetel for the cops interviewing people, uh, the hostages, and talking to people and trying to figure out. So, you like, you've already seen it resolve that all these people are okay and that the people have gotten away. So you keep jumping back and forth between... Their exit interviews and um, the actual action, and I like that. It actually works really well, and it's just kind of a different structure for the movie. So really slick. I liked that, and that leads into the Five Bloods. And I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Spike Lee movies, and he's just—it's becoming more apparent of just how much I—he's like one of my favorite directors. Because I just, especially lately, I think that he's been for—I mean. 
I, I could probably speculate on what why he's fired up about. Um, but man, I think Black Klansman uh, was one of my favorite, if not, I think my favorite movie of two years ago. And that was just slick and really well made, but also had just a lot on its mind and really entertaining. And here's The Five Bloods, which is just maybe his mo- one of his more ambitious movies. And it's just on Netflix randomly. And it's uh, it's equally ambitious and big, and it's got these big ideas. And I, I love Spike Lee when he's swinging for the fences. And even though it, sometimes it feels like it's too much or there's too many characters or all these things are tough to balance, I like that. I like the unwielding nature of it. I like his um, just his bravery in terms of just going for stuff and not not following a certain outline. It's a Vietnam movie. It's about four uh, African-American soldiers who were in Vietnam. Their squad leader died. And uh, so they're going back years later to Vietnam to recover his body and recover some gold that they found. So there's like this heist, this uh, treasure hunting dynamic, but it also is a war movie. What's interesting about it is either for budgetary reasons, or I think there's probably some reason behind it, the four old men, including Del Rey Lindo, you know I love Del Rey Lindo, Mm -hmm. uh, they play themselves in the flashbacks with very minimal makeup aging, de-aging makeup or anything. So Because they're black. They look fine. Well, they... No, I mean, a couple of these guys are pretty old looking. <laughs> but I think... And it's... And then what's... It, so then the fifth guy is Chadwick Boseman, uh, Black Panther. And so he's very young looking, right? And so there is this weird dynamic where you see these old men interacting with Chadwick Boseman. They're supposed to be the same age. Now, one, I think it might be a budgetary thing. Two, I think... The movie's about them being very much haunted by this experience in Vietnam. And so... You know, the reliving it. So it, it, I think the movie plays pretty well because they are, it's like their reflection of what's happening and they haven't really left. And so it, it, it actually kind of worked for me. I, I could see it being distracting for some people because there are some extended action scenes with them running around. But to me, I thought it worked really well. I'll tell you why you did it. Because hmm. why people be racist and they won't know who <laughs> plays who if they use different actors. They'd be like, which one is that one? This is a this makes it a lot easier. Del Rey Lindo has been in a lot of Spike Lee movies. Um, he we talked about him. I don't know for about half of the Congo podcast for his one scene in Congo because I just love Del Rey Lindo. I love him on the Good Fight. I love Del Rey Lindo. God, this is just an amazing performance. He should get uh, Oscar attention. But it's so I don't know. It's a weird year. Who knows what'll happen? But I I really like this movie. I think it's it's uh, as good as. Black Klansman. It's great. You should watch it. Everybody should watch it. It's really good. Okay. This brings me to Tea Time with Tyler. Already? Yeah. Okay. Did you have another movie to discuss? Uh, I don't think so. I think I was... Uh, yeah. Okay, no, Tyler. No, no, no. Since you've watched a couple. Mm-hmm. So Tea Time with Tyler is when I refill my tea. Now, it's only been 15 minutes, so I haven't drank much tea tonight. But... Mm. Are you ready? I guess. As I'm refilling my inch of tea that I've drank. Drunk? Drinking? That I drink, mm-hmm. have drunk. Okay. What's the correct grammar there? I don't know. <gasps> I lost track of you making your comments. <laughs> so what? I didn't hear if you said the right one or not. As I fill up my tea, name all the Spike Lee movies you can. Go. Uh, School Days, Do the Right Thing, Jungle Fever, Mo Better Blues, Clockers, Get on the Bus, uh, Inside Man, Black Klansman, Five Bloods, uh... Okay. Summer of Sam. 
Um, I know you nailed that because you've been into his work lately. I've so been watching some. Um, what do you think is the most surprising um, Spike Lee movie that people wouldn't think was made by him? Um, I th- Well, there's one that I think is unfortunately not, especially not very good. Um, and it's because it mostly got taken out of his hands, I guess. He did the remake of Old Boy. I was I was seeing this in 2013 with Josh Brolin, and this is Sam Sam Jackson. Him kind of had a falling out, but this was the movie that he Sam Jackson came back to do with him, and now they've reconciled. And he's been in um, he was in Chirac. Oh, I didn't say Chirac, which is another movie that is very unwielding, but I like it a lot. Um, so I would say Old Old Boy, but the studio took it. He had a two and a half hour cut of that, and then they cut it down to like an hour and a half and it mm-hmm. it is not very good and it ha- despite having like Josh Brolin and Elizabeth Olsen and Sam Jackson and um he even like changed his he called it like a Spike Lee film mm. because he didn't like it and he always calls his movies a Spike Lee joint so he weird. even made a point of like saying like this is not one of my movies weird it's a directed to, like, by Spike Lee you'd have to like know that to know that I don't know yeah. I wouldn't know that. It's not very I mean it's not a very good movie and it doesn't really feel like a movie of his in a lot of ways. So um yeah, he's made a, he's made a couple of really good documentaries. I'm seeing he's also Four Little Girls yeah. is amazing. Um he made the Win the Levies broke, I think, which is also very good. Um I really like him. Twenty fifth hour is one of my favorites of his. I didn't even mention that in my yeah. list. Um yeah, he's good. I really like when he's on, I think he is great. I think he's he's made a few that are not, not so great, but um when he's on, there's no one more exciting, I think, sometimes. Cool. So, that was an easy one, because I've just been watching I movies. know. Yeah. Sometimes I like to throw you a softball. Great. What's up next? Are you done? That's you it. Didn't watch anything else? No, I told you that before you started your okay. tea time with Tyler. Okay, 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 okay. So, flash on back to 1999. All the way back. Way back. 21 years ago. <laughs> 21 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about a little movie called Galaxy Quest. It came out, if you're ready for some high stats, and De- then we'll share what we remember. December? Is that your guess? Yeah. But, are you sure? No, not sure. December? Yes, December 25th. End of the year. Christmas yeah. Oh, movie. Christmas Day, yeah. I remember that. It is rated... PG, we'll talk about that. It is rated PG. <laughs> Clocks in... At an hour and 42 minutes, I would agree it's 12 minutes too long. Nope, I think it's perfect length. I would agree it is 12 minutes too long. It's perfect length. An hour and 42, perfect length. All right, it is uh, directed by Dean Parasot. Don't know who that is. He's a guy. And written by David Howard. Mm-hmm. Stars Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman. Late uh, great Alan, Gr- Alan Rickman. Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell. <sighs> A bunch of other people we'll talk about. Justin Long. Justin Long's in his uh, film debut. Film debut. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that. I looked that up. Oh. I taught you that information. Rain Wilson is in it for like a scene and a half yeah, Dwight, as an alien. Dwight yep. Schrute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a scene and a half. Yep. Um, what do you think the budget was for this, babe? $40 million. Yeah, it was $45 million budget. Yeah. It only grossed in the U.S. $71 million. Um, yeah, it... And then $90 million worldwide. So it made double. That's not very good. I think the studio was really hoping, and they were swinging for it to be a huge Christmas movie, and that's why they made it PG, despite it not being filmed as a PG movie, but then it qu- didn't quite um, yeah. perform. It performed okay. Who is this movie for? Um, For people who like movies. So, I mean... Then they shouldn't be surprised that that it didn't gross more. I think it is a weird they they really hurt themselves, okay? Because they got in this weird position where 
it's a co- big big concept comedies can be tough unless you have a really hot star like think Jim Carrey at liar liar level like he's just whatever he touches is going to be a box office hit Will Ferrell kind of early in that stretch of his good movies right Tim Allen is past that point in 1999 where he was but even then I mean he had the Santa Claus and that's it and he had a couple other movies that were never high grossing movies he was on television right but even at 99 see his show was over Mm -hmm. and so he wasn't really back he had Toy Story but I mean that's totally different I mean he's the voice so you have that problem so it's big comedy and then yeah you could you could say it's a kids movie but like does the do kids really are they excited about watching old people older actors playing i mean it's just a weird thing to try to sell to them but then when you make it pg you're telling adults like well this movie's not for you yeah despite it definitely being for you exactly so they hurt themselves in that regard now i don't know if it was pg-13 if it would have made more money i suspect maybe not but um before we talk some more tyler what do you remember i remember a lot this is the segment where we sit down we write what we remember i'll go first okay galaxy quest uh, Tim Allen is the star of a show like Star Trek. He and his castmates get kidnapped by aliens who think they're real space travelers. They consider all the TV shows as historical footage. There is a bad guy trying to kill them and they need their help. They're actors, so they don't know what to do. It's revealed. The aliens are upset, but they end up beating the bad guy in the end. There's some love interest stuff. It's a fun movie! <laughs> Yeah, like I wrote, it's a fun movie. <laughs> I, I mean, you, yeah, you got it. I pretty much wrote the same thing. The cast of an old Star Trek-like show gets sucked into real space by aliens who think the show was real-life historical records. Great cast, especially recommend Sigourney Weaver, and yes, a great Tim Allen performance. It works as a pretty good Star Trek movie, but with more laughs. This was another great movie from 1999, and one that deserves its now cult status. 1999 is notorious for... Not notorious, that's kind of a negative connotation. Great year in cinema, right? So Perfect year for us. We're like, we're like 16, yeah. 15, 16. Just it's a, our year. Just a great year for cinema. Um, and this is ultimately... I, I don't think it was regarded at the time, but now is kind of listed among those great movies of 1999. And to the point where as part of this interest of doing this podcast was I did finally watch the documentary that they made about fans and it's it's called like Never Give Up, Never Surrender. It's on Amazon Prime. It's a feature length documentary about the making of um Galaxy Class Quest and like the, the cultural impact of fans and stuff like that. The movie is a glorified DVD bonus feature, but if you're a fan of Galaxy Quest it's very entertaining because it brings all the cast back. They all do, you know, subsequent interviews um, later in life, including a uh, small... Even, Lorraine Wilson has a little bit because, you know, they asked him. And, you know, if you're a fan of it and, you you know, you learn some details about it that you maybe didn't know. So it's not... It's not definitely not like a amazing documentary, but it's, uh you know, gets, makes you want to watch Galaxy Quest, which is why we ended up watching Galaxy Quest. So, yeah, it's really good. It's weird how good it is. It doesn't, it shouldn't be as good as it is. Yeah, it's one of those movies that, like, when I'm thinking about it, I'm not thinking it's anything, and then I sit down and watch it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this movie's fun. This is why I remember so much of it. And I don't think we really need to, like, go beat by beat at all, because it's, it's, I think it's pretty popular now, as evidenced by having its own documentary of the, uh, the fans, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the setup is just kind of perfect. It begins, with like an old episode so the aspect ratio is boxed off you see them in terrible wigs and you know you get a little kind of taste of what this show is and then you cut to them 
older, jaded at a convention. Although, what's weird is that the convention they're at is like a Galaxy Quest convention full of people. It's huge, right? They they seem to be a beloved program. But then, like, the next day they're at, like, a store opening and there's, like, 20 people, like, 15 people there. It's very weird. And it's, like, multiple days of the Galaxy Quest convention. So there's – it's crowded at the convention the next day. But, like, you that, you want to go to the store opening. You get immediate access to the cast oh, right there. Sure. No lines. Mm-hmm. That's where you should have gone, right? Um, so that's a little bit weird. So, that like, the has-been aspect of it is a little strange. To the point where there's, like, got, Tim Allen is, like – Tim Allen's playing a guy who's, uh, he thinks he's kind of big league and everybody else. He thinks he's the, the hot shit and everybody else is not as important, right? Well, he goes to the bathroom at the convention and he overhears some, like, other guys, like, can you believe these guys really like it? Blah, blah, they're making fun of it. And I was just thinking, like, well, these guys, like, paid admission to go in here. You guys are, like, you guys are lamer than the yeah. fans. Like, you're there to make fun of it. Yeah. How, how big a losers are you guys? Yeah. <laughs> no, you like it. You're just pretending that you don't like it. But then Tim Allen actually gets upset about it. I'm just like, dude, you got their money. Like, they're obviously there. They think they're cooler than the show. They're not. They're not. Um, but yeah, what do you remember when you first saw Galaxy Quest? Back in the day, or did I see it with you? I don't remember actually. It might have been a movie that I showed you when we first started dating. It seems yeah, like it's kind I feel of familiar. Like it was I feel like because I wasn't seeing a ton of movies when I was fifteen or sixteen. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm a marching band. And I play the clarinet, and I have my first boyfriend. So I wasn't doing a whole lot of. I didn't have my first watching. boyfriend, so uh, I was going to movies a lot. Yes, you um, were. Yeah, I think it was part of like a debate of like me saying like. Tim Allen is he's good in some things and you're just like you stupid fucker. I was like home improvement. That's ow, it. Ow, ow, Santa ow, Claus, ow. that's it. But no, and then I would cite uh this movie as a good Tim Allen performance and it is. It kind of it feeds right into kind of his wheelhouse. He's playing this like he he's a he's a manly guy but only like by actor's sake, you know what I mean? He doesn't really and he's pompous and he's got that attitude about it, but he actually does have to do some dramatic work later in the movie and it's very effective. In fact, he gets I think the most effective scene in the movie um, where he has to kind of admit that they are you know, they're torturing uh, the Just Shoot Me guy and the Veronica Mars dad. What's his name? Enrico something. Yep. Um, what's his name? Give me the I'm name. I'm looking at, Give me the I'm name. Looking at it. Give it to me. I was looking something up. Hold on. Give me the name. His name is Enrico Calantoni. Yeah. So he, you know, is the leader of this alien group, and uh, the bad guy shows up. Bad guy, by the way, great costume work. He's got, like, he's he's got, like, he's a lizard-looking guy, right? Yep. But he's got, like, three earrings in one of his ears, which I thought was a nice touch. He's oh, a real punk rock, man. Yeah, I like it's, that. Like, three ring earrings, which I thought was pretty something. Um, but, yeah, he, they, you know, eventually they get captured, and they he the bad guy forces Tim Allen's character to kind of explain to these guys, these aliens, that they are actors. They don't understand what actors are. They have to explain that it's a lie. And it is effective work from Tim Allen. Um, even the documentary kind of talks about, like, the old, it's a DreamWorks movie, right, when that was a new thing and Spielberg was running that studio, kind of. The only day he came to set was the day that Tim Allen had to do this uh, big dramatic scene. And the rest of the cast are in the rest of the documentary. It's set up pretty well in the documentary. It's just like, yeah, Alan Rickman especially. He's like, yeah, I mean, Tim Allen, even Tim Allen in his interviews is like, I'm not an act, like, I'm not an actor. He's a comedian. He's, he's a, a comedian. He, he always says that. And they even say, and they say that, like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's goofing around a lot. He doesn't, you know, you always have to kind of get him to focus a little bit, you know, because he's cracking jokes that are inappropriate or whatever. And 
Alan Rickman, who said, you know, they, they, Tim Allen said they got along, but it was always like, Alan Rickman always seemed annoyed by me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Alan Rickman's probably annoyed by everyone all the time. I, yeah, apparently not. Apparently he's a real nice guy, but, um, but yeah, he always, he's he's always had that gravitas. I know he was a really nice guy, but he had the gravitas of just being a guy who, like, like the character he plays here. He just is, he's a Shakespearean trained actor. He doesn't have time for, you know, people who are, you know, suffer fools or whatever, but, um, but yeah, the day that Spielberg came was this day that Tim Allen had to do this work, and I think there was some apprehension about whether he could do it. And then Spielberg was like, "Man, Toolman's pretty good at acting." Yeah, which is, uh, you know, that's something. And I will uh, circle back with you. The makeup for the bad guys super good. Mm-hmm. That must be where all their money went. Well, and they're. I mean, the the CGI now doesn't look great. No. Um, There's a couple scenes where it looks real, real bad. And. It, and it's 1999 CGI, so some of the wider shots still look okay. There's a rock monster in the movie that looks okay in wide shots. The aliens from that same planet These look okay. Short little Teletubby-looking things. They look okay in wide shots. There are a couple shots, and the movie was smart not to put them in too many close-up scenes, but when they're close-up, they don't look great. Um, but the the costumes of the bad guys... Yeah, and the whole... You know, they do a nice job of creating, like, a Star Trek-like ship, you know, set design. It all looks pretty, pretty sharp, but... Um, yeah, it's just the setup is so perfect because you put actors in a real life setting like this and they don't know what they're doing. The only knowledge they have is what the, the lines that they've said on the show. You know, everybody's got a subplot re- related to that, which I find really funny. Like Alan Rickman has to embrace that he's a, like the Spock like alien and they, they're giving him food that is like not, you know, human food and they expect him to have a brilliant strategical mind and a science mind. Tony Shalhoub, who is, I, I think it's great that he's tickled by this whole, like, he's the one who's not actually phased by any of this. He's just very excited to be there and happy to be there. And, like, just, he's the engineer, and he's just, he just kind of rolls with the punches, and he's like, yeah, they're telling me that something's broken. Like, just FYI. <laughs> like, he handles that pretty well. Uh, Sigourney Weaver only had one role on the show, which was, like, recite the computer, but she kind of chooses to embrace it in the show. Uh, young Laredo is, uh, he was a kid as a pilot. Now he's a, you know, an adult, doesn't know how to pilot, but they have to learn like how to do it, which is that great visual scene when they're actually leaving the spaceport and he, so funny. he acts, you know, he's, everything looks fine. They're all pulling out of a driveway, right? Imagine like a new teenage driver trying to pull out of the garage. Everything's going all right. Like it's fine. They're going going straight. Everybody's, they're all nervous, but once he starts moving, they're like, oh, he got it. It can't be that hard. But then it just slowly starts to drift to the side. And then starts scraping. And then they cut to all the characters kind of just bending their heads a little bit like, and then it just does that scrape against the side. It's so funny. Um, and that's kind of really where the movie just, like, you kind of realize, like, okay, this movie kind of knows what it's doing when it comes to kind of utilizing the Star Trek tropes, but, you know, having fun with it and getting laughs out of it, mm-hmm. but also embracing it and having fun with it and kind of putting the characters in real danger, which I think works really well. Um Probably no more so than I think the MVP of the movie is Sam Rockwell. Yeah. I mean, we're biased towards Sam Rockwell for sure. Who isn't, though? Because he's a great actor. But uh, Dummies. Dummies, that too. So he plays... He's at the convention as... He's just a host. He's inter- introducing them. He, he was an extra in one episode. He got killed in the episode. Uh, he's not really part of the show. He gets whisked away on this adventure. And... He, it's you know he's the one who's terrified. He's giving out the giant scream when the aliens appear in their true forms. 
But then Sam Rockwell kicks into super high gear when they go on this this mission, right? Where they go and they have to re- they've damaged their their ship power for having fighting with the bad guy going through a minefield, so they have to go down and get another thing. And this is when he realized their plan that they come up with of stealing it is from the episode in which he died. And he's just making comments about, like, I'm not the guy. I don't even, like, my character doesn't have, like, a last name. Like, I'm the guy who dies in, like, the at the first commercial break. Yeah, I'm a red shirt. Yeah, he's basically a red shirt on Star Trek, right? And so all of that just works just so well. Um, it's so funny. He's just got a great delivery on that. And even before that he's like talking about uh he's i don't know they sit him down with the radar or whatever when they're about to get shot he's like there's a green thing and then there's like a red thing and the red thing's getting closer to the green thing <laughs> it's so good and he's just freaked out he's going to get killed right and he's always trying to avoid stuff and what's funny is that at the end of the movie we have the omega 13 device right which is a they use to go back in time for 13 seconds and fix and they have to do that because the bad guy after they blow up his ship, he shows up on the deck and shoots everybody and kills everybody. The only person at the end in that shot, if you pay attention, that does not get killed mm-hmm. is Sam Rockwell. <laughs> so he actually even survives the uh, the uh, other thing. And my other favorite um, bit is at the end when they crash at the convention and when they're introducing the cast when they come out, when Sam Rockwell comes out, he goes like, another ship made. <laughs> another <laughs> ship made. That was so funny. I, God, the whole movie just builds so well, but it, it also has dramatic stakes. So I just, uh, yeah, I the movie, I just think it works amazingly, minus some shoddy CGI that I, it doesn't even really bother me because it's only a couple of shots. Yeah, it's, it's forgivable. Alan Rickman is brilliant in this movie. He His just level of disgust and every line delivery, the one I said at the beginning of, he's got this line that he hates saying is like by Graptar's hammer I, I, you will be avenged or whatever everybody wants him to say it he hates saying it doesn't want to say it he refuses to say the line my favorite part of he says the line at the store opening and it's like by Graptar's hammer what a savings in the way that only <laughs> Alan Rickman can say but then he has an amazing arc because he actually the movie actually manages to create a scenario in which he actually gets upset someone that is a big fan of him uh gets killed and he like and he's about to die and he knows that he really buys into this thing and he says it to him because it's like a, a meaning of like you honor me i'm going to make sure that you are avenged for this it's a big honor and it's a big thing and the movie actually through his performance and through the arc of his character you actually believe that he emotionally just feels that he needs to say it. I think it's like as fucking good as like Spock and Kirk like saying their goodbyes in Wrath of Khan. It's that fucking good. I just think this movie, this movie fucking kicks ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let the circle jerk continue. What? What do you like about it? I don't know. I don't want to go through the plot because every scene because I'm like that scene. Yeah, that's a great scene. That's a funny well, scene. Well, I did take a few notes on this okay. movie. Three. Three notes. Yeah. Okay. You know how I do. You know how I do. Uh, my first bullet point is uh, mm-hmm. Elliot saying that looks like Santa Claus. Yeah, I wrote that down too. He we he knows the Santa Claus movies, and so at the beginning he's like, "That looks like Santa Claus." Before he gets all fat and white, I'm like, "Yeah, it's Tim I Allen." I mean, sometimes I question the kid's you know um, ability to pay attention, and then other times he's like, "Boom." And then I said, like, he's also the voice of Buzz Lightyear, and it was just, like, silence. He's he just like, like, I don't know like, fuck about you, that. liar. <laughs> Prove it. You're a liar. It's Buzz yep. Lightyear. It's Buzz Lightyear. Yep. Um, I made a bullet point of seeing Justin Long, and then I remembered 
Because you know when you go back and you watch movies and you're like, oh yeah. And so they introduce him in the beginning and, and Tim Allen's character is just fucking mean to him. Very mean to him. Because he's, he's just a super fan and he's just like, fuck off. And, they, and he and his friends behave as if the show is real. Yes. They have schematics of the ship. And it mm-hmm. actually comes into play later because they bump on each other and they switch devices so that Justin Long gets to get back into the movie then, which is such a great way of tying so the knot good. on the on the movie and so it connecting was, it. Yeah, it was fun watching that and being like, oh yeah, oh, he's going to be important later. Mm-hmm. He's going to save the whole fucking thing. Yeah, and he looks, uh, I know, you know, Justin Long still looks young, but he looks real young. <laughs> oh, and he is really young. In the making of this movie, he's only like 18. He's super young. There's a so great, baby. yeah, so, you know, they... What's his his character comes back? You know he's gone for the whole stretch of this adventure, and then Tim Allen calls him on the communicator, and he's just like, "I'm sorry, you know you're right. I know it's not real. My friends know it's not real. I'm just being fun." And he's like, and then Tim Allen's like, "No, it's it's all real." And he's like, "I knew it." <laughs> Which I think is a great gag, but then the even better gag is that early, a couple minutes earlier, his mom, Justin Long's mom, is telling him he needs to go take the trash out. And then it doesn't reference that again until, like, we're in the middle of, like, an adventure, a key point. Yeah. And it's like, hey, come come in. Are you in there? And then, like, there's a quick cut to him running out yeah. and throwing the it's trash out. It's a countdown out. to the whole ship exploding. Oh, yeah. It's like 20, 19. And they're like, hello? Hello? And then it cuts to him running the trash out. So Which, good. Which, as a parent, I, I definitely appreciate that scene. Because yeah. you're like, God damn it, take the fucking trash out. And the mom, they, like, there's a, also a pretty good shot when he's, like, leaving for the convention later when he's going to go help the the ship land, where the parents are just on the table, like, well, I'm going to go do this, and they're just like, they're just like, fuck, whatever, Fuck, man. okay. I already do that with our kids, and I talk about goddamn Minecraft, so. Um, correction, he was 21. He was born in 21 at the time? He was born in 78. At the time of filming? Well, yeah, he was born in June 78, okay. so maybe 20. Baby face Justin Long, man. I mean, man. look at him. Of course, he's a baby face. Baby face Justin Long. He's older than we are. He's good <laughs> in the movie, though. It's a good. It's a good casting. Everybody's so well cast, actually, um, across the board. I like everybody. Sigourney Weaver, I think, is fun. This is kind of you know she's she's playing the opposite of her Ripley character. Yeah, but it you know I like that it's this was a smart thing for her, and I you know she talked a little bit about that in that documentary. It's just like she's known for being. An action star, but at a certain point, you know, you've already made four of those alien movies, and they don't want to make any more, and you're not exactly getting hired for this kind of stuff. So I think it's kind of a, it's a fun way to her, for her to be in kind of a big movie where she's getting to be part of it, but commenting on like this legacy of her as an action star. Whereas you know, other movies have now cast her in in kind of more of a mentorship role or kind of a a, a a larger scale role or, you know, playing her age a little bit more. Whereas this was like a good level where she still gets to kind of be quote unquote hot and tough, but in a way that's opposite because yeah. she's not really that way. Her character's not that way. Um, so yeah, the, what it's weird is that, uh, the movie is PG, but you can very, they, they only kind of cover up the fact that it was PG-13 in very broad ways. Yes. What, and it's always Sigourney Weaver. There's a there's an ADR line early where she's like talking about the darn computer, which mm-hmm. is like no one says darn in any movie ever. Nope. No one ri- has not written, a real word. No one has written that word into a screenplay. Like it's just not a word that is written in the screenplay. That's a really Except for good that point. darn cat. Yep. So uh, that's a movie. Okay. Yep. Uh, Disney movie. But you see, it's a kid movie. So there you go. But then the big one is at the end when they get to the, they're supposed to get to the Omega 13. It's Tim Allen and, um, Sigourney Weaver. 
and they go to the clompers, which is a, another great gag. It's like, why is this? Uh, why is this thing even down here? And she even rants on about that. I was like, this was a really badly written episode. There's no reason that this exists. Why is this here? And uh, Justin Long helps them through because they watch the old video of it. Um, but she looks at it and she goes, well, I think she says, screw that. But, like, you can see her mouth. <laughs> clearly mouthing. Fuck. It's like, well, fuck that. It is so funny. Yeah. Like, they, so this was clearly the one F-bomb of a PG-13 movie that they... They wanted her reaction to say it, but they didn't want to cut away. But it is this awkward thing where she says screw, but she's definitely mouthing the word she's fuck. She's definitely saying fuck. So that's, I mean, other than that, it's it's pretty well. And the humor, it's tough because it's not a movie that needs to need swearing. I would think that if the swearing was in there, other than like, well, fuck that, which I think is a great, would have been a great line. The other humor isn't really necessarily based on them being like sweary, you mm-hmm. know? So it would have worked. Um worked that way so i don't know i kind of like that it's pg i kind of like that i like that we could turn our this movie on with our kids i the fact that it was pg allowed us to basically That's like true yeah we could turn this on and you know uh, the younger kids couldn't follow it but um the older kids thought it was all right i think our daughter our oldest daughter enjoyed it and then our son our six-year-old i don't know he could never like watch anything for like 40 minutes anyway so I'm scrolling through the Rotten Tomatoes critic reviews to okay. see if anybody dislikes it. There's got to be a few, right? Yeah, but their comments are so stupid. Yeah. Would you like to hear a few just for fun? Sure. Okay, here's one from Jay Webb at the Dallas Morning News. And these are blurbs that they... Usually at Rotten Tomatoes, I believe they... Ch- I could they be wrong. He, there's a link to the full right. review. Right in if I'm wrong, but I think that these critics do choose their blurbs oh, on... Dear. At least they do now. Okay. Yeah. Each actor plays an actor playing the sci-fi characters. Here's where I want to laugh. Mm -hmm. It's a bit difficult to keep track of who's who, and ultimately the characters are so underdeveloped it's even more difficult to care. So, this person has difficulty keeping track of who's who? There's, I mean... There's like six characters. Um, I mean, in, in its defense, I will say that some of the characters are a little thin in terms of screen time. Tony Shalhoub doesn't have a lot to do but he does it really well and he has a memorable arc nevertheless yeah sam rockwell same alan rock alan rickman same laredo is uh what's his name something mitchell uh tommy tom yeah he has an arc i mean yeah. so even though they're supporting and it's an, an hour and 40 minute movie in which you have you know the there's the main arc which is tim allen i mean the fact that all these characters have an arc i think is remarkable how many movies Give an arc to nearly all their characters. Very few. The 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 cap the commander. Uh, just shoot me, guy. I always call him just shoot me. I know he's way more famous for Veronica Mars, but um, he has an arc. Like yeah. every, like it's just that's a weird comment. I thought so too. Yeah. Some of these other ones are not really negative uh, comments. Here's here's one. It has fun with the characters, the dilemmas, the imagery, and source of inspiration. Without genuine depth, however, hmm. the film will have a hard time reeling in a widespread audience. Well, it I did, mean, it it did. did struggle. It did have a hard but time. But now it's pretty well regarded as one of the best of that year, which is a great year for cinema. So What's great is these are critic reviews from the time it was yeah. released. This is January 2000, you know, the month it was. I remember seeing this, and I don't know, it was 99. Look, I've... I think we've talked about this on previous episodes. I will, despite whatever he says publicly or the bad movies and TV shows that he makes, there is, I have a certain soft spot for Tim Allen just because of Home Improvement as a kid, because of the Santa Claus as a kid, because he's the voice of Buzz Lightyear. So I've always 
maybe giving Tim Allen a little bit more leniency than some people. But I remember when this movie came out and I was always confused, like, I don't know, this movie's pretty great. I know that people are, like, against Tim Allen, because even then they were already against it, but he had Toy Story 2 was out, but, I mean, he I don't know, he was riding that, and that's about it. But I, re- I mean, I remember just genuinely thinking it was great. Overall, I mean, the critic re- response was very positive. Here's a line from your friend Roger Ebert in our segment called, What Would Roger Say? Say. How many stars did he give it? Three. Three. Here's his... His one line on the Rotten Tomatoes. The movie's humor works best when the illogic of the TV show gets in the way. Yeah. That was his only critic that was his only like actual film critical review of his whole review. It was all plot. It was su- the weirdest for giving it three stars. She spent a lot of time just talking about the plot and not even really commenting on I it. I will say that when Roger Ebert writes three st- when he used to write three a lot of three star reviews, it was generally Maybe things that he thought was fine, but it didn't have a lot to say about. Number two, there is this weird phenomenon back in, you know, the 80s and 90s, especially in early 2000s to some extent, where reviews that were in print, because they would come out on the day the movie would come out, some of those were very plot heavy in some of the descriptions, not always some of his, but he would even, I mean, he would generally write a few paragraphs. On, it would just be longer articles. So maybe he had a smaller um, print requirement or word count for this particular review. And there is a lot to kind of, if you're going to talk about a movie coming out, there's a lot to kind of say about what the movie is. And, and so you that's. You know, you've done this. Yeah, I mean, some movies just require a little bit more effort to kind of explain, to help people understand if they, it's the movie for them. And so this movie does have a little bit of like layer upon layer that you have to kind of like, okay, well, there's actors. They were on the show, but now they're really going to think, although I just did it in like two sentences. So. Yeah. I don't know. It's like eight paragraphs he writes on the plot. I, sometimes, I, 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 as someone who, as an avid reader of Roger Ebert back in the day, I, I can confirm that some of his reviews would do that. And a lot of reviews would do that. You just be like, why is a lot so much plot in this review? But the, I mean, overall, people loved it. Here's a, here's a lighthearted one mm-hmm. from Kevin Thomas from the LA Times. Okay. Fast, light, and funny, Galaxy Quest has a wide, generation-spanning appeal, and you don't have to be a diehard Trekkie to enjoy it. And that's true. I think that you don't, that what's, I think what's, hard about Star Trek and this is coming from someone who generally likes most Star Trek there's an entry point that can be a little bit tough when you're watching Star Trek 3 Star Trek that's for Star Trek is a bad example but you know like uh, there's a lot of things you have to keep track of and there's history upon history that's getting thrown in here is that kind of movie but it's you don't have to know any of that stuff yeah. it's giving you the flavor of that I think that's why the it's different, and, and I understand that's different. A lot of purists don't like the reboot, the first J.J. Abrams reboot, Star Trek. But I think one of the reasons why that movie works so well is that you don't have to necessarily have the knowledge to kind of jump in on it. And it's more of a... J.J. Abrams, that trio of movies... Well, the third one's a little bit. But his movies especially are more... They're more Star Wars than Star Trek in terms of kind of its tone. Which I look, I like both types, so I'm not trying to be critical. But... Just in the way they play, it just definitely plays more like a, a, a more like bam wow kind of uh, feel. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, uh, the, there's an element to that of like not having to kind of have that history to jump in on it. And that's yeah. what's great about like Galaxy Quest. Our kids were able to watch it, yeah, and enjoy it without having to be like Star Trek fans. Yeah, I think so too. And 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 honestly, the best Star Trek movies are the ones that are a little bit easier to. I mean, Wrath of Khan is kind of widely regarded and I know that that character was from a previous you know installment in a previous episode but you can watch the Wrath of Khan and, and 
inter- be entertained by it without knowing a lot of the other stuff, which is why I think it's more broadly successful. And that's why this works. This is why it, I, when I say it's, I think it is my favorite, like, Star Trek movie, even though it's not Star Trek, but it is a very specific kind of movie, a mm-hmm. space adventure in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like it a lot. Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. Do uh, we, do we own this? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I only watched it with you a couple times. Yep. If it was on, you would turn it on. It's great. Oh, and you can always, like, if you're familiar with the movie, you can just turn it on at any yeah. point, too. So, I like it. Okay. It's great. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode of Galaxy Quest. If Can the people watch this on the internet? I don't know. We watched it on our DVD. On our DVD? I think it's a movie that does sporadically pop up on some streaming service, but I don't I think it's... I was going to search really quickly. Anywhere. Anywhere to watch Do you Galaxy need a reason Quest. to get it, though? You can watch that documentary on you Amazon can, Prime. You can rent it for two ninety nine from all the platforms. Sure. Yeah. That's a thing that people do, rent movies. We we do it occasionally. It's yeah. weird. I, yeah. I feel we're doing it every time we rent a digital movie. It's yep. very strange to me. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will discuss a movie we rented for two ninety nine. Yes, we did. <laughs> Right, Although guys. I had credit, so I think it was only ninety nine cents. But I mean, it's still it's credit is still it's still money. It was credit just by saying yes. Go ahead and ship that box two days later. I'd be happy to take your dollar fifty in digital credit. I'm always like, hell no! I pay for that Amazon Prime. Give me my shit I in ju- two days. I just bought a Jackie Chan Criterion Blu-ray of Police Story, Police Story Two, and it gave me that option. I was like, you can have a digital credit if you wait four days, and I was like, I'm gonna wait four days. I'm gonna watch that shit right now. Fuck you, get that to my door. I'm gonna get my little Clorox wipe. I'm gonna wipe that fucker off. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Old Millennials Remember Movies. If you enjoyed this episode or this podcast, you know what to do: tell a friend and have them listen. And yeah, we're on all the platforms, aren't we? Yes, you don't need to say that anymore. People, if people have found a podcast, they I listen, listen to, to podcasts. Podcast. They're just like listen to a podcast, blah 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 blah. But like, why do you need to give instructions to someone who's listening to a podcast on how to listen to a podcast? Have you That's been fucking annoying? Have you been watching what people are doing out there in the world? They are not smart. <laughs> people, be safe, and we will talk at you another movie. Bye.